Well, this morning we're going to be transitioning a little bit. Um, we have been spending a lot of, several weeks, you know, kind of lots of download, right? So this week we're going to start moving into um, some application. How do, we, how do we do this stuff and how do we actually look at doing it? This week is going to be a little bit of a blend. Next week we're going to be doing a workshop. So uh, there, there was three handouts this morning. Only one of them is actually for today. The, the, the notes are for today. The other two are for next week. And I'll go over those at the end when there's more folks here. But there's, I'm, I'm actually giving out an assignment this week. It's not something we typically do. I need to grease the skids a little bit because otherwise we won't have enough time to do what I want to do next week. So, uh, so there's, make sure you grab all three handouts before uh, you take off. So in our time together, I'm curious about how you guys have been doing. In our time together, what have been some of the most helpful things that we've covered? Like what have you, any aha moments that you've seen, anything that's been particularly helpful or good to be reminded of? What's, what's been going through your minds as we've gone through the course? Being able to dig deeper, yeah, uh, that's that's really good. And you know, we've been talking a lot about how to do this from a, you know, sit down and study the Bible perspective. But if you look at some of the some of the tools and just methodologies that we've been thinking about, and just think about them in a little bit of a lighter mode, observation, for example, is huge. You can do that while you're just reading your Bible. When that's your intended purpose for sitting down at that moment, you can still do good observation and use those techniques even in that context just to get a deeper understanding, even if you're not going to quote-unquote study and get a deep understanding of what your, what your text is. But being able to go deeper is really, really good. Other things that have been helpful or that you've appreciated about what you've learned? Sure, sure. That was in our conversation about commentaries yeah. and the different kinds of commentaries there are. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. Anyone else? No. Well, again, today our goal is to help uh, transition more into an application mode with what we're learning. Um, and we're going to really be looking at two things today. Um, we're going to be looking at how to study two kinds of passages. Hard passages or difficult passages and those that are really familiar. Uh, difficult passages have a tendency to leave us puzzled. We walk away from them saying, huh, don't really know. And uh, I guess maybe someday I'll find out, but I don't, I don't right now. Right? That's what hard passages do. Familiar passages can, fr- quite frankly, just leave us bored. You know, I've read this, I, you know, this is a favorite passage of mine, and yes, it's on my reading plan to read it again. I know about the birth of Jesus. Yes, I've read it a hundred times. Read it, read it at Christmas, you know, every year. Read it four times because I go through the Gospels. You know, so how is it that we take a passage like that and keep it fresh? Uh, so th- those are the two kind of two study conundrums that we're going to be uh, talking about in our, in our class today. Um, 
Just to be just to be clear, though, I do want to remind us all that the problem is not the word of God in either one of these circumstances. Right. The, the word of God is perfect. Um, it is it has been given to us by him in order for us to understand him. So even those passages that are difficult are not out of our reach, at least at some level. Um, to be able to get to a better understanding, we can always improve our understanding of the difficult passages. And those that are that we find to be little ho hum because we've been there multiple times. Again, the problem is in our own heart in that particular case, and we'll talk about that more as we get to that in the in the course. So, in terms of studying difficult passages, what do you guys think makes a passage difficult to study? Just throw a couple of things out. What makes things, what may, when you go to a passage and you're like, eh, don't really know what's going on here, what are the kinds of things that are in, in that passage that stump you? Doesn't seem to fit. Okay. Yeah. Other thoughts? Contradictions. Yeah. Sometimes it, sometimes it feels like there's some kind of a contradiction, either within the passage itself or with something that you, some other place you know in the Bible that seems. That's it. Yeah. Good. Other ones? Martha? Okay. So sometimes it's just the structure of the passage itself makes it difficult to understand. Yeah. Yeah. Keith? Okay, there's been, there's been over the years, you know that there's this person who said this and this person who said that. That's the kind of thing you're talking about there. Yep, so there's been different ways to take it and it's hard to know which one is the right one. Yeah, Steve. Odd cultural references. Odd cultural yes. Yes, sometimes the cultural references or the cultural dimensions of the text make it hard to understand. Yeah, um, so the, the, the main three that I want us to get in our minds is culture gaps, which is what's about contradictions or really apparent contradictions because we again we have to we have to have that as a kind of one of those stakes that's driven driven so deeply into the ground it can never be moved is that this is God's perfect this is the perfect word of God written by him so in his perfection he's not going to contradict himself he is not actually going to say a and not a Right? That's just not going to happen. So, the, so when we see a contradiction like that, we need, to be, we need to be looking at it from the perspective that there's something that I'm not understanding about how these mesh together. That's usually a contextual question. What's the context? And how do I see what the context is? So that, and then, uh, then there's just mystery. Sometimes the text really is hard to understand. Texts that might be driving at some aspect of the Trinity, where there's a, there comes to a certain place where we're going to say, yep, I really don't get it, but even in those contexts, my contention is we can still improve our understanding of who God is through a passage that discusses something like the Trinity. So, um, so some, but sometimes they do just contain a mystery, and we need to recognize that. So here's some, here's some passages that would traditionally be difficult, right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 11. So head coverings. Should, should women wear head coverings in church? That's been, a, that's been a contentious one. That's got a culture gap in it, right? There's some culture gap things that we need to work through. There's the many interpretations question that Keith brought up a minute ago, right? There's lots of different people who've registered lots of really strong opinions that sound really good, so we need to wade through that. So that's one. Uh, first, uh, sorry, not first. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 uh, is another one. Was Jesus created? It's kind of the, one of the, the hard topic that comes up in that passage. And there we have one of those, possibly one of those mysteries. We, we, you know, what is it that 
that Jesus was begotten and not made. You know, so there's a, there's a dimension of that in there. First Peter 3, women are weaker vessels. How do we understand that? That's probably largely a culture gap kind of uh, discussion. When we understand what the culture was written to, that may give us a better understanding of what is being communicated. Uh, James chapter 2. Here's a good one from the for those who think of um, uh, contradictions or apparent contradictions. James chapter 2. Is salvation by faith or by works? James seems to say works. Other places seem to say faith. How do we reconcile that, right? And then uh, uh, the one that I've got printed in your handout is Matthew 12, which is this passage that deals with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. What is that thing, and how is it that we understand that? And that's the one we're going to kind of delve into and try to work our way through in terms of understanding a a difficult passage. So why don't you go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. It is printed there, but you might be more helped by having some of the larger context in terms of our conversation as well. And while you're doing that, um, I'm just going to go over the four things that we're going to talk about in terms of... uh, um, you know, studying difficult passages. There's four things that I think you can do that will help you understand a difficult passage. None of them are going to be surprises, by the way. We've talked about all of them at some level before because we're, now we're getting into this application idea. First, we want to pray, right? We want to pray. We want to examine context. So we want to look at, look at what's around it and try to figure out what in the context can give us clues as to might be, what might be going on. We want to use other scripture as our guide. And this, is, this one is where we spend our most, most of our time in this section. Our clear passages are going to help us interpret and understand the less clear. So use scripture as your guide. And then finally, asking for help is someplace. Sometimes we get to the end and we're still stumped and we need to ask for help. And we'll go through a couple of different ways you can do that. So Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32. I'll just read it. It's in bold. It's the portion that's in bold in the um, in the handout. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So, what questions come to your mind as we read that text? In other words, what are the things that are difficult to understand here? Forgivable sin. So we better, it would behoove us to know what that is and if we can commit it. Yep. Anything else come out? Seems to oddly split the Trinity into sinning against one member is okay. particularly bad and sinning against another is only. Maybe not so bad. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you're getting at the difference between what is it to blaspheme against Jesus versus the Holy Spirit. And that seems to come out. Yeah, I think those are the two main tensions in the text. Is this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit thing? And what implications does it have? Because it doesn't seem, doesn't seem like it can get out of it. And two, how, how is it that blaspheming Jesus is any different than blaspheming the Holy Spirit versus maybe by implication blaspheming God the Father? I mean, how, how are those different from one another? Okay, so there might be a consistency question. We might be able to get to that, that uh, how are these, uh, you know, might not have a contradiction in our hands. You know, all good Jesus covers all sin versus maybe not this one. Good, 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 good eye. I didn't pick up on that one. Great. 
Yeah, so so those are going to be the, the questions we're looking at. And so how is it that we should approach this? First, we pray. Might pray something along the lines of along the lines of this. Father in heaven, you are the author of this book, and you have given it to us for our good and so that we can know you and your salvation better. Please give us insight into what this passage means so that we can apply it properly in our lives and we seek as we seek to live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The kind of thing you're looking to do, you're looking to put yourself under the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one who can give us insight into uh, what the Word of God says. Martin Luther said this when, when he wrote a letter to his barber. Martin Luther writes letters to funny people, by the way. Many times I've learned more from one prayer than I might have learned but from much reading and speculation. So sitting there and just wrestling with the text is not necessarily going to be your most helpful thing. Pray about it. Ask God for help to understand it. And He will. He wants us to understand what His Word means. <coughs> So if we'll submit ourselves to him through prayer, that is going to be one of our our chief and key uh, means of of gaining better understanding. Our second second tool in terms of doing difficult passages is going to be context. I mean, pretty much any time we're talking about Bible study, context, context is really important. Context is key. It's what helps us understand the meaning of words and stuff like that. But when we're in difficult passages, context is a particularly good tool. Um, so we want to remind ourselves of things like who wrote the book? Why did this? Why was this book written? I'm talking about bigger context here, right? Not our two verses that we just read, but what's going on in the whole of the book of Matthew um, in this case. Um, and we want to know who it was written to and why it was written to them. Um, and, you know, all those kind of bigger questions that we talked about when we were talking about tools last week or the week before, rather. Um, so... In this case, who wrote the book of Matthew? It's an easy one. Just call it out. Matthew wrote the book of Matthew. Why do you think he wrote why do you think Matthew wrote the book? Say again? It's an eyewitness account, right. So Matthew wrote the book of Matthew in order to be able to communicate um, uh, that, that Jesus is God's chosen Messiah. Uh, he wants to showcase that his ministry as the Messiah and that he came to save Israel from the sins by dying and rising again, right? So everything serves that purpose. So this somehow fits into that purpose, this blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. When you've, done, when you've kind of gotten your, your hands on the bigger context, and we didn't do a very detailed job of that just now, but just to give you a sense of it, when you've got your book context down or your broader context, you want to drill down and say, okay, I've got these verses I'm trying to understand. What's happening right in the same neighborhood? Right? So when you zoom into that immediate context, what comes before? What are the things that are said and the events that happen? What comes just after? And this is just using the observation skills and interpretation tools we've been learning in the, co- in learning in the course, right? Who, what, where, when, about this particular section. What words are repeated. Here's a key one when you're looking at difficult passages. Make sure you know exactly what pronouns, what or who pronouns refer to. First of all, it'll clear up some confusion because it can be easy to get tangled up as to, and you know, thinks a person's talking when it's really God or something like that. But it just sometimes what's are, are replaced with pronouns as well, and uh, we want to make sure we understand exactly what they trace back to. So that's a that's a helpful one when you're trying to understand difficult passages. 
Uh, and then ask how these verses fit structurally within, within the overall passage, right? Where do they fit? So what do you see in our immediate context? I've got the, I've got the portion that comes just before the two verses printed in your outline, in your notes, right? But what kinds of things do you see right there that might be helpful in understanding what this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is? In the who, what, where, when kind of, uh, realm. Okay. Yeah, you got Pharisee. First of all, you got Pharisees in there. That's who he's talking to, right? What, what else were you going to say, Matt? Yeah. Right. Right. So there's a, there's a flow of thought here. So we'll talk, well, that's a good observation. We'll talk about it in a second. What else? Okay. Yes. Yep, so there's a demon possession, and we've been talking about... Uh, what did the Pharisees accuse Jesus of? Correct. Right. Yes. Yes. What about structurally? And thinking, think linking words here. What's what might be some linking words that that would be helpful in this in our understanding of this concept? Therefore. Whenever we say therefore, what's, there, what's the word therefore, therefore, right? So it's going to link uh, what the Pharisees were teaching to what Jesus is going to say about it, right? Um, it shows that, the, that Jesus' teaching on blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is specifically, and this is what Matt picked up on, this, it's specifically in connection to what the Pharisees are accusing him of. So there's a link here. So if we try to take this, this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit thing and just interpret it and kind of come, on, come to some understanding of it that's separate from the text, we're going to lose the fact that he's got a very narrow context here. The context is, I'm trying to react to or deal with the accusation from these Pharisees, and so this is going to be connected to that in some kind of a way. <clears throat> so if the passage is like a puzzle piece, context is like the picture on the box, right? And the context is going to help you be able to figure out where this piece fits. And that's going to be, uh, again, this who, what, when, where, why, how kinds of observations and using the other tools that we have about structuring and uh, linking words and repetition and all these other kinds of things to bring us to a better understanding of what the context is so that way we can see where the thing that's confusing us fits in that context. Because we want to apply it in the context before we try to apply it to ourselves. Okay. Um, third point. You want to let Scripture interpret Scripture. And what I mean by that here is that the Bible is the best fence for interpreting itself. It creates boundaries so that we don't get caught in false interpretation. And so when we're studying a passage that's hard, or that we're, whether it's objectively hard, as in everybody is generally confused by it, or even if it's just our own personal struggles with understanding the text, we want to go and find places in the Bible that may be more clear or more plain or more simply stated that can help us understand what's going on in the present one. Um, so 
In every case, though, we want to let the clearer passage govern our understanding of the less clear. That's really important, so I'm going to say it again. Always let the clear passage govern your understanding of the less clear passage. Here's how you can do that. There's, there's three kind of steps you can go through to do that. First is diagnosing the difficulty. So what you want to look, do is ask yourself the question, what, is it, what exactly is confusing or difficult in this passage? We've already done that for ours. We did that as part of our observation. Uh, you want to express this in the form of one or two specific questions. So that way you can drive for the answers to those questions, right? The second step is you want to find other relevant passages. So you want to find passages that are, that are dealing with the same topic or might be dealing with a, a related topic that could clear up for you what might be meant. <clears throat> One of the best ways is to use a cross-referencing tool of some kind. The center column in your, in your reference Bible would be one place. Um, searching for common words or common ideas using an online Bible website like uh, Bible Gateway or ESV.org. Uh, can be helpful. Using a concordance can be helpful. That'll help you find places that talk about similar things. Um, your notes in a study Bible will often reference similar or parallel or helpful passages that you can go read. The same is true for commentaries. When you have a commentary, if you have a commentary out, they'll often link you to the other places in the scriptures that are helpful to understanding something. So however it is you do it, collect together some of your uh, cross-references. Now, we don't have time to generate all of those ourselves for this passage, so I'm going to just give them to you in this context. So, uh, starting, starting with the book of Matthew, remember Jesus' audience, and we talked about this a second ago. So this is small context, but also seeing how, it, it might, how the context might be helpful specifically. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, who claimed his ministry was of Satan. Then if you go later in Matthew 23, Jesus calls out these Pharisees and deals with them again, and he calls, calls them hypocrites, blind guides, greedy, self-indulgent, lawless, and murderers of the prophets. So, those are the, so this is, can, could be part and parcel about how he's interacting with the Pharisees, and that can help us to understand what might be going on with this turn of phrase. Um, after we've kind of looked at the local book, we want to expand our view. Other passages in the Bible that might deal with the same topic. Uh, there's parallel passages in other Gospels. Mark 3.29 and Luke 12.10 both talk about this. If you were to go and look at those, though, in this particular case, you would find that Matthew is actually the most clear on what this means. So we're not going to go and, and investigate those very much because they're actually not very helpful because they say less and are actually more, more uh, are harder to understand. Um, just as an alternate way, one thing that you can also do when you're looking up passages and you're trying to find other passages, not only should you look for passages that, that talk about the same thing, but you might be able to find passages that talk about its opposite. So in this case, what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit not? What is not covered under that? And a passage that could be helpful in that regard uh, is 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 16. I'll only read verse 13 from that. Paul says this, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now Jesus is blaspheming God here in this case. He's pursuing, the, he's pursuing the people of God in order to be able to kill them. He's referring to that phase of his life. He says, I was a blasphemer. So how is it that, that Paul has received mercy? 
So if we can understand that, that could help us in our understanding of what this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit might be. If anyone could have been charged with blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, it's Paul, but he received mercy. So what we've done now is we've gone and collected a few passages that might help us. We've looked at Matthew 23. We've looked at this, at this passage in 1 Timothy. We would probably do others if we had time, right? Um, and we want to take, but we want to take all of that information now and synthesize it. You'll see that on your outline. Synthesize. Synthesize is just a fancy word for putting it all together. How do I put these things side by side, read them together, and come to a conclusion about, about certain things? So, in light of God's mercy on Paul, what, is it, what does it seem clear anyway from the First Timothy passage that Matthew is not saying? Paul was a blasphemer who received mercy. So what, what is it clear, clear that our passage probably is not saying? Correct. So, all blasphemy, so clearly all blasphemy is not unforgivable. Um, so our question remains, um, what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? And I would say it this way. In light of the context of the Pharisees in Matthew's Gospel... Uh, it, does, it does apply to those who live in re- unrepentant, obstinate, continual opposition to the Holy Spirit's work through Jesus. So it's not, that, it's not the person who blasphemes and says, oh my gosh, please forgive me. It's the one who, like the Pharisees, and we get this clue from our Matthew 20, uh, 23, who are just, they are, they're not going to relent. They're not giving up on this, and they're never going to let it go. And that's the idea of the blasphemy, the, the blasphemy that's, un, that's unforgivable. It's tied to unrepentance. Um, so a person who is unrepentantly hardened to the Holy Spirit, like the Pharisees in Matthew 12, has blasphemed the Holy Spirit. This is a person who never repents and believes in Jesus. Blasphemy of the Son of Man is temporary, while blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is unrepentant. So the, the, the author, Paul, Matthew in this case, is not juxtaposing Jesus against the Holy Spirit, he's just using those as a foil or as a, as a means of understanding that there are different kinds of blasphemy. And the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, who does what, by the way? What is the, what is the main work of the Holy Spirit? The internal work in your heart, right? If that's the person you're blaspheming against, the inter- then there's no internal work of God going on in your heart. If you're blaspheming against Christ... He's the one who died on the cross. He was the one who was designed to take our, our sin, our blasphemy, and bear it for us, right? So that's the kind of idea that is being invoked in Matthew. And I realize I've pulled in a bunch of other things that we didn't talk about here, right? You would go to a lot of other passages, probably dig a lot more. You would have a lot more data to synthesize with. We just don't have the time to go through it all in our short class because we're already way behind. Uh-huh. Um, so any questions about that? That's, that's, that's probably, if you get one thing out of today, that's the one I would like you to get. Using clearer passages and doing research in other parts of the Bible to get clear on an idea and using that to help you clear up the confusion in the passage you were originally reading. Any questions there? Yes. Right. So uh, the one passage I'll bring up is, is uh, Acts 7, where mm-hmm. it says, uh, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. 
fathers did. So you and then he goes on to say they killed all the prophets and they all right. they crucified Christ. Yes. And so that that word resisting the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit functionally right. uh, ends up being a synonym of that, that concept of blasphemy in the Holy Spirit. Yes, it does. It sheds quite a bit of light on what exactly it is. Yeah, looking for parallel terms or synonymous kinds of ideas is really helpful in that case. Yeah, definitely. The last thing we want to do when we're studying uh, difficult passages is ask for help. Because we might get to the end and still say, uh, yeah, I still don't get it. Um, and there's several ways you can ask for help. There's a whole church that is coming around you, right? We talk about church being a team sport. We talk, we, we talk to people. And if we talk to people, we're going to learn things in our conversation. They're going to be able to help us with their greater understanding, possibly. I mean, the elders and BJ are always willing to talk about your, 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 the things that you're trying to understand in the scriptures. We want to help in those ways. It's also true that your, Bible, your study Bibles and commentaries are places you can go to for help, right? A good commentary is going to help you digest some of the, the parallel passages, and also what this might mean through somebody who's made a, made a habit of studying this particular book or this particular passage. So asking for help is actually uh, really, really important as well and can help with that you know, synthesis, especially if you're like, yeah, I, I read a whole bunch of passages on this and I still have no idea. Um, you know, help, me, help me think through it. Um, so asking for help is really, really important. Here's what the ESV Study Bible says about our passage. Um, it's actually from the parallel passage in Luke 12 uh, where this note exists. It calls blasphemy of the Son of Man disrespectful words hastily spoken against Jesus. And then it calls blasphemy of the Holy Spirit the persistent and unrepentant resistance against the work of the Holy Spirit and, the me- and, it- and his message concerning Jesus. And then the notes end with this encouragement. Christians often worry that they have committed this sin, but such a concern is itself evidence of an openness to the work of the Spirit. So, so that's how that, that's ways in which those, those notes and commentaries can be helpful to you as you look for help understanding the difficult passages. Other questions there? All right, so let's shift our, let's shift our focus a little bit. Difficult passages uh, are, are hard, and they... Um, uh, the, the, but the problem there is largely external, right? It's things we don't understand. It's things that were written down that are difficult to understand. It's putting together the pieces from the different books of the Bible and internal, bringing that inside and internalizing it for our own understanding. When we're talking about familiar passages, their struggle is more internal. When a passage is familiar, we tend to disengage and assume that we know what's going on, that we know what it means, and that we know, how, we know how we should respond. And these assumptions will kill our study of the Bible. It leads to dry Bible studies, or worse, distortions of what the, what the Bible actually says. So as good as it is to be familiar with the Bible and to have passages that we read and study frequently, we will sometimes need to work extra hard to stay engaged with the study. What are some passages that this might be true of for you? This would, this would, these fall into the, will mostly fall into the, into the category of what is your, what are your favorite passages in the Bible? Well, 
What are, some, what are some passages that might be familiar enough to you that you would disengage from them and find them a little boring or ho-hum and say, I, ju- I just know what this says? John 3. Any others? Genesis 1. Genesis 1. Yeah, that's a good one. The prodigal son. Okay, yep. Very familiar story. The one we're going to look at in our, in our study, and we won't go through it in as much detail because we're not going to have time, but um, is Psalm 23. I mean, Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's a very familiar verse. In fact, people who don't even read their Bibles will often know it. Um, and because we're not going to have time to explore the whole passage like we did in the one in Matthew, I, but I still want to leave you with some handles or some ideas about how is it that we can approach a familiar passage like this um, and still be able to glean new things out of it and be able to be engaged in our study. Five ideas or five ways, and again, these aren't going to be new, right? These are application of things that we've already talked about. Um, five things that will help. Pray. Uh, don't make assumptions, but ask questions instead. Search for surprises. This, one's, this is kind of an observation uh, one. And then I'm going to combine the last two that are on your study, meditation and expression. I'm going to combine those into one uh, section. So those are five, those, these are five things that you can do, five activities you can work on that will help you to remain engaged with a, with a text that may be a little familiar and maybe has gotten a little ho-hum. So first, pray. Familiar passages grow dull, not because the passages are dull, but because our hearts are dull. So when we pray, our prayer is a little different than it was for the, for the uh, difficult passage, right? Our prayer is maybe more a prayer of confession, something like this. Oh Lord, I'm so dull to your, the wonderful things in your word. Please forgive me and send your Holy Spirit to teach me and bring fresh insights of your word today. Right? So we're going to be wanting to submit ourselves under the power of the Holy Spirit once again in order to understand and see what is in uh, the, the current passage. Uh, second is don't assume, ask. Ask questions instead of making assumptions. Uh, work hard to look for things that you've not seen before or for new areas or ways to apply truths that you already know. The best interpreters are those who ask the most questions. Questions like the ones we asked about the difficult passages. So they're not really the, we're not really talking about different questions. We're just talking about working hard to apply them. So what is the context? What's the structure of the passage? What do the various words mean? How does it compare or contrast with other passages in the Bible? How does this apply to me? Treat every passage of the Bible like it's the first time you've read it. Do your best to set, it aside, to set aside what you already know and say, I'm going to read it like it's the first time and I want to notice new things. And then don't assume, ask. And then seek out the, question, the answers to your questions. So write down questions that might be there and then, uh, and then seek out those answers. One way you can do that is the next point on your outline. Look for surprises, okay? So this is one of the ways that you can, one of the specific ways we can ask better questions. Assumption almost always settles in when a person ceases to be surprised by the Word of God. A surprise, in this context, is something that is said or done that goes against our expectations. So one way to search for this is to ask this question. What am I expecting God to say here? 
I already know this passage. I have expectations. What is that expectation? Now reread it and look for things and details in the passage that specifically might challenge your expectations in some way. Not not challenge them as in, oh, I was wrong all along, but that might challenge them in terms of pushing you into new into new territory. So for example, in Psalm 23, verse 1, we might observe that it's King David who is calling his shepherd, God his shepherd. The king, he's the king, the most powerful person in Israel, is call, he's calling himself a weak and helpless sheep who depends on God as his shepherd. And in this way, David is just like us. right? So brings us out of that realm of God is my shepherd, yeah, 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 and just thinking about who David is. And that might be a way to challenge your, na- your natural expectations of what the passage is and what the passage might contain for you. And God is the God, the, and the, the reality is, is that the God of the universe cares for King David personally. The God of the universe takes interests in individual people. So again, an idea or just an aspect of the verse that might challenge your default setting about what the verse says and what it might mean for you in your context every day. The implications of these surprises are wonderful in this passage. No matter how great our status is in the world, we are always mere sheep depending on God our shepherd through Christ our King. Therefore, God is your personal shepherd in Christ. God cares intimately for every single sheep in his fold. Therefore, he cares for you. He knows you personally and knows your struggles, and he is your shepherd. So that just kind of gets back around to the, that initial statement in the verse. The Lord is my shepherd. And bringing your, the things that, that challenged your understanding of the passage back around and inserting it back into what the, what the text actually says and then going for application to yourself. Numbers 4 and 5 are meditation and expression. The Puritan pastor Thomas Watson said, the reason we come away so cold from reading the word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. In order to prevent a cold response to familiar passages, we must meditate on them. A good definition of meditation comes from Don Whitney's book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. In that, he says this, Meditation is deep thinking on truths and spiritual realities revealed in Scripture for the purpose of understanding, application, and prayer. So meditation is the process of taking the Word, thinking over it, and and then expressing it for yourself in various ways. That's why I combine the meditation and expression together. Meditation really is a form of expression. Um, and it's a, and the other thing that I think that needs to be noted about meditation is that meditation is long term. It's not, it's not, you know, meditation, you might start meditation while you're sitting down for your quiet time in the morning. But the idea of meditation is it's a way of carrying the passage with you for the whole day or for the whole week or for a longer period of time in order to let that message percolate in the back of your mind and then allow you to come to, to a better application and conclusion. So what is it that we actually do? How, how do we go about meditation and expressing God's word? Uh, prayer is one way that this happens. We've been talking about prayer a couple of other times in terms of setting up and you know, praying for guidance as we go to study. Um, but prayer uh, is also a tool for meditation. When you pray through a passage, you're meditating on it. Turn what you study into prayers of praise, confession, and thanksgiving for yourselves and for others. 
If you're ever looking for ways to pray for your brothers and sisters at Redeeming Grace Church, pull out your your uh, photo directory and then take the truths that you just learned and just try to apply those and pray them for other people in the congregation. Right? Very helpful way to pray for other, other folks. That's not just generic. Right? may not be specific to their particular struggles, but it is specific to something from the Word of God. Uh, repetition is also help, helpful for meditation. This may take the form of multiple readings, so maybe you read over the same passage multiple days in a row in order to be able to soak on it and meditate. Or it can take the form of, med- of memorization, committing it to mind so that way at any point in time you can recall a verse to memory and consider what it might mean for you. Um, the longer you sit on a verse or a passage, the more you will see its full riches that you may not have initially seen when you first read it on that first day. Uh, next, uh, another way to express or to meditate is to share it with others. So share it with friends, with family, fellow church members. Talk about what you're learning, and that is also a form of meditation. And as you tell others what you've learned, you're going to learn yet more, because you'll be talking about something, and you'll make a connection you hadn't made before. So talk about it with, uh, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Talk about it with your family. And that's a way you can meditate on the Word. Uh, another way to do this, similar kind of an idea, but mostly is with yourself, is journaling. If you write, writing helps thinking and helps you build on previous insights. So you can go and read what you read, what you wrote down uh, previously, and you can try to extend that or press further into the truth that might be that might be there present in the verse that you're that you're considering. So just as an example, look at, look at Psalm 23, verse 1. It's in, it's in, your, it's in the, in the um, handout. And just quickly, what are some things that you could pray about from Psalm 23, 1? We'll just take one of these ideas and just talk about it for a second. What are some things you could pray about from Psalm 23, 1? And if you see something further down in Psalm 23, that's, that's okay too. I will fear no evil. Right. You can you can pray you can pray that for yourself. You can pray that for for anybody else who you might who you might know who might be going through a challenging circumstance. Good. Other things? Contentment. Contentment is that what you said? Yeah. We would not want. That's right. Right. What's another way we could pray about want that we would not want? I like that one. We'd want the right things. Okay. What's something else we could pray? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving in what sense? Sure. Sure. If we're not actually in want in a significant way, we can be praising God for his provision. Yeah. Yeah. Other ways, not necessarily connected to that, but other ways you could pray things from Psalm, Psalm 23. Trusting God in trial, sure. Sure. Say that again. The promise that you'll be with the Lord forever. What a glorious promise that is, right? That we that this what we experience on this world is not the end. There is not all that we're gonna have, but we're gonna have a glory we have a glorious uh, you know, eternity in heaven to look forward to. Uh, when we're finally with him, yeah. Yeah, good. Good. Rest. Rest, is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, find rest. What kinds of rest might we want? 
about rest from the labor of working, ourself, working for our own salvation. Right? Unbelievers need that. Even we as believers sometimes fall into that trap, right? That we would rest from our labor. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Good. Well, how about, are there, are there any questions that, we, that have been brought up by today's study? That's all of, that's at the end of the material. I've got one other topic that we'll cover about next week, but uh, before we go there, is there anything else, any questions that come up? The best inter- it's true. And that comes from a non-question asker. Right? I, but when I do get to asking good questions, then I, I find my understanding goes up better. I, my, my default setting is to assume that I know what it means. It's, it just says, it means what it says. I read it, okay, that's what it means. Mike? Okay. <laughs> okay, good question. What does this do? What, how does this interface with reading the Bible in a year? Yeah, I, the stuff that we've been talking about in this course is not necessarily the same thing as reading our Bible in a year. I think there are things that we can apply from the course to that. You know, especially things as becoming good at observation and good at you know quickly coming to you know seeing interpretation kinds of questions and some of those tools. But the, your your Bible reading and trying to read the Bible in a year has a different goal than studying the scriptures. Right. Your goal with stu- with reading the Bible in the year is. Uh, Overall familiarity. I know the overarching storyline. And where am I, when I do sit down to study a passage, where in that big picture am I? You know, am I at a low point in Israel's history? Or am I at a high point in Israel's history? Am I before the cross or after the cross? Right? So I've got, I've got all these things that help me if I know that the, if I know the broad storyline. And that's the goal of reading your Bible in a year or reading through it quickly. This is definitely not that. Although you might, you might say, oh wow, this is really good stuff, and slow down and set that Bible reading aside for a short period of time to study something that catches your attention. Then you would transition to this kind of a, of a study. Or this might be something you do with your home group passage. You know, your, your, your passage for home group. Uh, and not necessarily with every passage you would read uh, in, a Bible, in a Bible reading plan. First of all, this is going to take you too long. I mean, if it, you can spend a couple of hours on two verses like we just did, you know, and, uh, but when you've got four chapters that you're reading out of a Bible reading plan, especially if those chapters come from different places in the Bible, that's going to be really challenging. So they, I, would, I would regard them as different things. Yeah. yeah. Martha. Right. Yep. Yeah, break it down into its parts and then put them back and then put them back together specifically. Well, good. That's where we're going to have to end. Uh, there are two other handouts back there. These are for next week. Next week is going to be a workshop. Um, we're going to be going through this passage from, from Ephesians chapter 1. I'm giving you the text double space so you can write all over it and color it and do your observation. Um, I would encourage you to use this card that we passed out earlier in the year. There might still be a couple of them back there. I don't know if, if you don't have one, you can come see me. I've got one. Um, otherwise, I can email it to you. Um, 
And uh, I also put together a small worksheet to, to use just to collect your thoughts together uh, in preparation for our time next week. I want to start off, we'll start off with observation and we'll go through the whole process. So it'll be a little abbreviated and I'll try to have cues ready for us, but um, it's mostly going to be a workshop where we'll work through the passage together. So go ahead and pick those up on your way out if you didn't grab them on your way in. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for providing your word to us. We thank you for the fact that we can indeed understand it. We can indeed apply it to our lives and that you help us to do that through your Holy Spirit. We are thankful for that. We praise you for it. And we ask that you would bless our time of worship now. In Jesus' name, amen.